Morning. You know, uh, John said it earlier, there are many of you in the room, this is your first time back in several months, and I was just telling my friend Andy just a few minutes ago, I was like, man, when there are even more bodies in the room, the energy just picks up, the spirit is thick, and it's just good to worship with God's people. We know that not only do we get to worship here in this room, but we have so many that are faithful watching online week in, week out, and it's awesome to feel your presence, even though you're not here, the, the spirit just coming through the technology just to worship together in spirit and truth. It's good to have Men of Valor with us today. Glad you guys are back. It's always a blessing to have you guys with us. If you're a guest, it's awesome to have you as well. We're just glad to be here together. I mean, you get where God's people together, and it says we're two or more gathered. I'm here. I'm there. And so to know that Jesus is already with us is incredible. I want to put a disclaimer on the message. Is that okay? Basically, what I want to do is I want to take all responsibility off of myself and put it on the Bible. Is that okay with you? So if it comes out of the Bible, you cannot blame me for anything that God may convict you with. Sound good? Some of y'all are laughing, but y'all don't even know where we're going yet. Here's one of those messages where James, we've been studying the book of James for the last several weeks, and we've got several weeks to go, and we're excited about it, we're enjoying it. But as many of us have found out, that James doesn't pull punches. James doesn't sugarcoat it, he doesn't hold back, he just basically tells you straight how it is. And, you know, sometimes we say we love that until we get that, and then we're like, I'm not sure I wanted that. But yet here we find ourselves in James chapter 4. So this morning, I want you to join me, and I want you to really, here's the disclaimer, I really want you to avoid the temptation of going, that message is for her, it's for him, it's for that family over there. I want you to absorb this message and say, maybe this message is exactly for me. And just see where God takes you from here. Because I know every time that we've gone through a study of James, both in the sermon, but then also in our life group series, I think my life group, somebody says it every week, you know, we're like, man, I, that, that's me. That, 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 was, that was specifically for me. And we really just need to put ourselves in the moment where the scripture can speak to us, not justify somebody else. So allow the Holy Spirit just to speak to you today. Allow God's presence just to mold you and encourage you, even if this is not something that you face. This is not a this is not a, a issue that you exist exist in your life, man. Just embrace it, just in case there does come a day. And for some of you, I want you to know that I'm going to tell you right in the middle of this is probably the greatest piece of encouragement that some of you are going to hear this entire week, and that may be the difference between you coming to know Jesus today, and maybe not. It all depends on how you receive that particular verse. But I want you to know today that God has got a word for all of us. Those that are brand new to church, those that have been here all our lives, those of us that are very dedicated, we're very zealous, to those of us that are very casual with our relationship with God. There's a word in here for all of us, and I want James to speak loud and clear to each and every one of us so that when we walk out of this place, maybe you hear me pray this all the time, when we walk out of this place, we are forever changed because we were in the presence of God. So here we go. Let's go in James chapter 4. We're going to start with the first five, five verses here. I'm going to read out of the Christian Standard Bible. Your Bible may say a few different things, but along the same lines, we're together. James chapter 4, we're going to start verses 1 through 5. James writes, he says, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire, but you don't have. You murder, you covet, but you can't obtain. You fight, you wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you're asking with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? 
So whoever wants to be, your friend of the wor- be a friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that Scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? You know, we say it around here quite a bit. I know I say it in different times, in different Bibles say, there's a war for your soul going on. There, there's a war, there's a battle. Most of the time you don't see it because it's spiritual. Some of you may see the effects of the spiritual because you're, you're around different situations or you're around different people or you find yourself in sets of circumstances that the only way you got there is a spiritual intervention or a spiritual, a spiritual interruption. But there is a spiritual war going on for your soul. We say it all the time. Usually it's between God and Satan fighting for you. But James takes a different approach in this battle because as you study the text, the war is being fought by you. We are fighting a war with ourselves, trying to get somewhere where only God can take us. But we are the ones that are intensely fighting against ourselves. We are the ones that are blocking us. We're keeping ourselves from all that God has to offer. So James says that you don't have because you're fighting with the wrong motives. You adulterous people, some of your, uh, some of your texts may say, you adulteresses. That's a word that has a lot of connotation, a lot of, a lot of issues come along with that word. James is saying that's how intensely you are battling against yourself for the things that only God can provide because you are cheating on God. You are ruining the relationship that you have because of you. And when I sit there and I read that, I'm like, okay, God, I got to say that in front of people. I hope they don't have tomatoes or anything, but we're going to go with it anyway. Because remember, disclaimer, God said it, not me. I had, to ch- I had to challenge myself. So the reason I say that earlier, like, don't blame on somebody else because this might be you, because I had to self-reflect going, how am I being an, adul- an adulteress of the Spirit? How am I fighting with myself for my pride, my passions, my pleasures, my motives? How am I trying to control the narrative? How am I trying to control the situation, the people in said situation? How am I fighting this war with me and keeping me from God? So there's two sides of this war that you're involved with. And I want to look at the screen. They're going to put it up here on the screen. And I want to go back to James 1 just a little bit. You don't have to look there. We'll talk about it. But there are two battles. One is the internal. And if you go back to James 1, James tells us in chapter 1 that all the evil desires start within our heart. It's an internal battle that we are we're fighting to purify our heart. But if we're not doing it by godly means, if we're not doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit, then the internal battle that we're facing is with ourselves, and we're always going to lose the war, even, even though we're the only ones fighting. You ever seen a, a battle between two people that say they love each other? When that war ends, do they still love each other? That's about how it goes when you're the only one fighting. James says in chapter, chapter 1, verse 14, the desires within your heart, those evil desires, that's the internal. The other side of that is the external. Because what is in the heart often comes out. And so if the war wages within you, then the war is about to wage without you or with outside of you. But it's still you. You're pushing people away. You're still trying to do things. Nobody can meet up to your expectations. Nobody lifts up. You are fighting. You are, you're scratching. You are clawing. You are being deceitful and, and manipulative and all the words that you could possibly think of because inside your heart are evil desires that you don't even realize. And the battle that you're waging is now coming out and it's pushing you away from people. Specifically, it's pushing you away from Jesus. It's pushing you away from God. 
You don't mean to. It's not always the thing that you do, but it's the thing that, man, you and your good intentions are costing you a true, fulfilling, satisfying relationship with Jesus Christ because you are fighting amongst yourselves. You are fighting to be the object of your worship. You are fighting to be the object of everyone's affection. But that battle never satisfies, ever. That battle never wins, ever, never fulfills. You are fighting with yourself. So the remedy, James says, is really, let's check our motives. We need to let godly motives define our means. We need to let godly motives motivate us and drive us to the things that God is leading us to. If you look at scripture and you know something that you need to do and your next thought is, well, I'll do this, you stop right there. Because if you know that something you're supposed to do and you know a direction you're supposed to head, a decision you're supposed to make, the next statement out of your mouth should be, let me see what God, let me see what God has for me. Let me see what God wants to do next. Not me. Let me see what God wants to do. James says three times, three times in Scripture, he says, we have the wrong motives, we're fighting the wrong fight, and we're only thinking about ourselves, even though we may say it's for others. Our motives are centered around fighting for things of the flesh, ours specifically. The Greek term here that James uses is hedone, the term that we get hedonist, meaning you are just doing the things of your flesh. You're satisfying the flesh. That's the only thing that you care about. You are pursuing your own pleasure as it is, as if it were the most important thing in life. Man, some of us, you know, the reason why you can't find Jesus is because you're in the way. The reason why you can't find that life change that you're so seeking is because you can't get out of your own spiritual way to find Jesus who is right there in front of you. When we satisfy our own pleasures, when we satisfy our own lust, when it's all about us, there's a war being waged and we are going to lose. Verse 3 says that you may spend them on your pleasures. Think about the blessings that God has given to you. Think about it real quick. Just take a moment. Think two or three things that God has given to you, something God's done for you, a blessing that you feel that you've received. Got it? Did you pay it forward so someone else could feel the same grace, the same things that only God could do? Those blessings that you were given definitely are for you, but you're also to encourage somebody with them so that they can, they can see Jesus, they can experience his love and his grace. Some might think, well, if I'm, I'm, I'm going for my pleasure, what's the problem with that? The problem is we don't see the line, and sometimes our line goes from, from pleasures to greed and selfishness. God is not giving you things to make you better. He's doing things to show his faithfulness, his love, his provision, his goodness. He's doing these things to encourage others, not just for you. Some of you, uh, you, you may look at James and you may look at his instructions here. Do you remember who G James's brother was? You remember? It's Jesus. If anybody in this room knew what it meant to, uh, to really understand somebody living for somebody else and having pure motives, it would be James because he got a front row seat into the greatest individual that's ever walked this earth, Jesus Christ. So would you think about something with me? And let's don't get too deep in theological and spiritual, but just think hypothetically. What if Jesus' motive 
For all the things that Jesus did, all the stories that you read, all the things that Jesus, all the powers, all the miracles, all the things that Jesus did, what if he was only doing it for his or for worldly pleasures and not to help create a pathway for you to find God? Is that somebody you would follow? Boy, I hope not. If you're following people that are in it for themselves, you're following the wrong God. If you are following things or you are doing things that you think will elevate you in the eyes of others, that will lead you to some other false God, you're not doing the right things. Jesus did the things that only Jesus did so we could experience God, we could experience eternal life, we could experience salvation, hope, love, forgiveness, and you name it, we experienced it because of Jesus Christ. That's the goodness of God. That's the beauty of Jesus because he wasn't in it for his own pleasures. He was in it for God's. And he was in it to create a pathway for you and I to find God. Because the Bible says, I, Jesus, am the only, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Imagine how that verse would be changing if it was all about Jesus' worldly pleasures and not God's heavenly pleasures. That verse would sound a whole lot different. Here's the encouragement. Let's look at verse 6. James, really, in the middle of all this, gives some great, some great, great encouragement, some great hope. James writes in verse 4, 6, he says, But he gives greater grace, he being God. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So the thing that we need to do is not only check our motives, but meekness needs to become our mode. Humility needs to become our mode. We have got to get to a place where it's no longer about us. It's about humbling ourselves before the Lord. Meekness become, becomes our mode. He gives grace to the humble. He gives greater grace. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we humble ourselves, when we are within ourselves, and we're following the scriptures the way that we should, you'll notice that God comes near to you. He doesn't push away. He draws in, not draw out. You draw in, you don't draw out. When you humble yourself before the Lord, things still happen. Situations still bad will happen in your life, but you don't run, you don't flee. You just draw closer to God because if God got you to this point, you know God's gonna get you through it. If God can get you into something, God can get you out of something and not only will get you out of it, but he'll teach you, he'll bless you, he'll give you perseverance and guidance and you will have a deeper, loving, more satisfying, fulfilling relationship because you were there with him. He gives greater grace. He gives grace to the humble. Humble, mo, humbly, or, or meek means humbly, patient. Mo, the manner in which we do something. He is, he is the fight that we're worth, that's the fight worth fighting for. He is the, the fight that we've got to fight with ourselves so that we can get to Jesus. I, I want to encourage you because I thought it was important to put in my notes and I want to say something. And, and nobody raise your hand because we don't want to embarrass you. This is not a judgment. In fact, we're going to get to some scriptures about judgment in a little bit. So if you're worried, we've got scriptures to encourage those people against it. But as some of you in the middle of just a very deep, dark, secret sin, maybe a past that you've run from all your life that nobody in this room knows about except for you, and you're, it's still a wound. It's still a crutch that you carry. It's, it's a cross that you bear. Verse 6 tells me that God's grace is bigger than whatever you're facing. Whatever you've been holding on to for so long, whatever you think you're the only one that control, you're the only one that can fix, God's grace is bigger and better than anything that you're trying. Give it to him. 
Humble yourself before the Lord. He gives grace to the humble. When we sometimes, we look at terms, we look at terms like meekness and humility and submissiveness. We look at those terms now in modern times and we think they're signs of weakness. Well, if I'm humble before the Lord, then I don't have power. If I'm meek before my friends, then I just don't have control and I don't have popularity. And if I'm submissive, then all my rights and responsibilities are gone. I, I'm, just a, I'm just a number. I'm a nobody. And I'm telling you, when you humble and you put yourself before God, you are not weak. You are made strong. Don't let the world redefine words that God says makes you strong. If the Bible doesn't say it, don't believe it. Don't put words into other people's mouth and don't let words be put into your mouth that don't come from Scripture. God says if you will humble yourself, there is grace. And James even goes on to say some other things we'll get to in just a second. But before we do, some of you have heard of A.W. A. Tozer. And there's a great quote that Justin and I want to share this week. That we, It says this, Tozer says this, The reason why many are still troubled, many are still seeking, they're still making little forward progress, is because they haven't come yet to the end of themselves. We're still trying to give orders and interfering with God's work inside of us. We are still in control. But humble yourself before the Lord because he gives grace to the humble. God's grace is greater. Stop trying to be the boss. I, I just want you to understand something. I've been a Christian for a long time. And many of you, have you, you're double the years than me. Some of you, you're brand new. But I'm going to tell you that every person in this room, listen to me, especially if you don't know who Jesus is. And I, I don't have any, you and I probably don't have any history. We don't have any skins on the wall. We don't have anything to really, you're just going to have to trust me and just have faith that somebody that has a microphone is telling you the truth. There is not a Christian in this room. There is not a Jesus-loving person in this room that has ever been let down by the love of Jesus. There's not a person in this room that hasn't humbled himself before the Lord, that God lifted them up, didn't push them down. Because every single person in here that knows this, that knows when we are not giving orders, when we are not interfering with God, God is moving and flowing and doing some incredible things. We just need to get out of the way and say, yes, sir, where do you want us to go? What would you like us to do? How can we help the next person? Have you guys seen Jesus because he's doing some awesome things? You got to come along with us. Hey, you know, our church that has that new cup, it's really cool. You come get one. Because if you get a cup, you'll stay for the salvation message. You come for the picnic, you're going to get the relationship that you wanted. You come to our church, we may not be able to offer you what you want, but you're going to find love and grace that you desperately need. When we get out of the way and we stop taking orders or giving orders, when we get out of the way and interfering with God, just let God do God's things and you just be yes men. You just be yes women. That does not make you a puppet. It does not make you weak. It gains you greater strength than you've ever had before. So for you that are fighting with God and you say, I don't know Jesus, I don't want Jesus, there's nothing about Jesus that I want, stop fighting Jesus and submit to him. Humble yourself before him because you are going to experience way more than grace. And it's going to be far greater than anything that you've tried on your own. He gives grace to the humble. James says this, though, here's some how-tos. I love James giving us some how-tos. He, he throws the punches and then he says, here's how we're going to do this. Therefore, and starting in verse 7, he says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and warm and weep. 
Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy turned to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. What James is telling us, and then A.W. Tozer comes back and, and really supports, is it's time that we make the Messiah our master. For those of you that have been in church for a while and you've known Jesus, maybe you, you were baptized at a young age and you believe it's time to make him the Messiah. We're, we're not in a relationship by association. We're in a relationship because he dwells right here in my heart. Church, it's time that we make the Messiah the master. You may read scriptures in there. Let's just get to the, let's just get to the middle part because some of you glued in on that. You glued in on verse 9. I know you did because I did too. It's okay. We're friendly. We're, we're here together. There's judgment scriptures. Remember, we're going to talk against it. We're here at verse 9, and you saw, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. Let your joy turn to gloom. Let me tell you about that. And then we'll get back to the other stuff. What that means is all the pleasures of the world need to become detestable. I mean, all the things that you think is fun and enjoyable, all the things that you think is fulfilling you that has nothing to do with Jesus and nothing to do to God, you get rid of it. You don't want that taste in your mouth. You, want, you don't want to feel good about that experience. You want nothing to do with anything, that has a, any, anything that's a part of, from God. You want nothing to do with it. So I may be miserable in the world's eyes, but I am shouting for joy in the Jesus' eyes. I may not have all the fun that, I, that my friends think that they're having, but I promise you when it comes to eternity, I'm going to have more fulfillment than they're going to have sitting on the other side of eternity. Turn the things that you think are pleasurable in the world's eyes and hand it over to God and watch him turn and give you the joy that you never thought. More fulfillment, more excitement, more love, more grace, more second chances. Anything that you put in God's hands, I promise you, he gives it back to you in a way that you've never even imagined. Now, we're not talking about prosperity dollar for dollar and you're going to be, man, we're not talking about that. I'm talking about the spiritual. You've got more spiritual joy. You've got more heart joy. The world could be caving around you but you still got your joy. That only comes from God when we submit and God exalts us. So let's look at the major themes, major phrases that James says. Let's get to the good side of this section. Submit to God and resist, resist the devil. Stop doing things your way. Do things only God's way. Take up the arms that God has given you. The, and by arms, we're talking about weapons. Take up the weapons that God gives to you and then start fighting the devil. What are those? Scripture, prayer. You start reading scripture and you start arming yourself with the promises of God. And when devil comes and says, you're not worth anything, then you just take back the Bible and be like, hmm, disagree. Hopefully that didn't mess up. When you start praying and you start thinking, you say, man, I don't know if I'm ever going to make it through this. I don't know if I'm ever going to do this. Then you drop to your knees and you start praying. Because God will remind you, now you're going to make it through. You're going to make it through with flying colors. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Some of you, that's the word for you today. You are so far from God because you are resistant, but if you will draw near to him, you want more time with him, you gotta make room for a relationship with him. If there's nothing in your life that can make room for a relationship with God, then you gotta make some changes. You gotta make some choices. I know they're gonna be hard. I know they're gonna hurt a little bit, but never have we given anything up to God that God has not replaced something better, something more meaningful. Make the choices, build the relationship, intentionally turn back to him and watch him draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Simplest way I can say that, drop your pride, ditch the sin, 
and leave it all behind. True repentance is a 180, not a 360. Means if my sin's in that direction, then Jesus is in that direction. I'm going that way. Simple as that. We have got to do the things that cleanses and purifies. It's a process, not a snap of the finger. Would you encourage yourself with that this morning? Some of you are like, man, Scott, I'm fighting. I'm fighting. I'm trying. I'm trying. It's a process. It's not a snap of the finger. you got to keep at it because just as you're drawing near to God, the devil is trying to push you away. Remember that spiritual battle we were talking about? But you keep fighting, you keep reading scripture, you keep asking the questions, you keep praying, and watch God become bigger and better and badder than anything in your life. You draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is what we're all looking for. What does it take for me to cleanse my heart, to purify myself? It's the, it's the cross. In a few minutes, we're going to have communion. We're going to have the Lord's Supper together. And we're going to represent that in a, in a very tangible form. And we're going to do that in such a way so you can see this to be true, that it was Jesus' sacrifice that helps you cleanse your heart, cleanse your life. Isaiah 1.18 says this, and, and it's a word that God gave to Isaiah the prophet. He says in chapter 1, verse 18, he said, let's settle this, says the Lord. Through your, though your sins are scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they may be crimson red, they will look like wool. God is basically telling Isaiah, you tell my people, I know what they did. I know what they're doing. I even know what they will do. And as though their, their sins are stained, and they are blemished, and they are broken, and they're no longer perfect, when they give their life to Jesus Christ, and when they turn their life to me, I will look at them as if they are as pure as pure. That's the God that loves you and wants something more for you than you experience. Oswald Chambers says, to have a master and teacher is not the same thing as being mastered and being taught. Having a master and a teacher means that there's something, there's someone in my life who knows better than I know myself, who's closer to me than a friend, who understands the remotest depths of my heart and is able to satisfy them fully. It means having someone who has made me secure in the knowledge that he has met and solved all the doubts, all the uncertainties, all the problems in my mind, and that person's name is Jesus Christ. We need to turn our lives to him. Making Jesus the Messiah means that we have someone that knows us better than ourselves. We have someone that gives us greater grace. We have a solution to whatever problems Satan or life try to throw our way. We have a Lord that leads, not enslaves. We have hope, but not emptiness. We have eternal life, not eternal death. In our final charge, I told you we're getting to 11 and 12 like it was the biggest thing in the block. But 11 and 12 are something that all of us need to understand. You think about the things that are happening in and around your world right now. 11 and 12 can change your life, can change your attitude, can, trade, can change the nature of some of your relationships, can truly change your heart if you'll embrace it and realize what God doesn't do versus sometimes what I do or you do. James says in 4, 11 and 12, don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters, Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. And if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but you are a judge. But there is only one lawgiver and one judge who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? If today is your day and you need to turn your life to Jesus and you need to give your life, I want you to understand the people at the fellowship, we're not in it to judge you. We're not in it to condemn you. We're here to love you and come alongside you. We're not perfect, okay? Let's just be clear. We're not perfect. But you got some brothers and sisters in this room right now that would love to come alongside you and encourage you.
because we remember what it was like to be where you sit right now. We want to challenge you, to encourage you, to to mold you, to help you make better choices, to show you the things that only Jesus can do. But you have to be willing to turn your life over to him. If you've been a believer and, 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 and you find yourself to be guilty of this, let me just tell you something. Then you need to memorize 11 and 12 and remind yourself daily, my job is not to judge. My job is to love. You think about all the things happening in and around your life right now. If more people would love and less people would judge, how would just your circle be different? Now, some of you are like, well, it's just a little criticism. No, stop it. Don't judge lest you be judged. James even says it earlier. He says, look, if you're the judge, you're a judge with evil thoughts. I'm a judge with a compassionate, loving heart. So let's let God do the judging and we do the love. And we encourage believers. We bring in the two. So I want to leave you as we get ready to go into our time of of worship through the Lord's Supper. James says he gives greater grace, 4-6. He gives greater grace. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So today, let's end the war with ourselves and live for Jesus. If you're drowning with pride today, I want you to humble yourself. Turn your life, turn your heart over to God and embrace his grace. Let's not make the Messiah, let's not just make the Messiah the master of the moment, but let's make Jesus the Messiah, the master of our lives for eternity. And if we're like 11 and 12 and we're guilty of judging others, then let's start by saying, God, we need forgiveness because we have tried to take your place. And that's not my place. My place is to be humble and to love. Let's pray together for a minute. Father, James' instruction is very clear. It's hard truth, God, because so many of us, we're guilty of it. I know I am. So as I read and as I study, it's like talking about myself in some ways. But God, this isn't about me. This is about your goodness. And I'm grateful that the grace that you've given to me is available and affordable and, and really for everybody because it's free. So God, may we all draw near to you. May we want you more than we want our worldly pleasures. May the desires of our heart not be for the things that we want, but would you change the desires of heart so it matches what you want for this world so that we can be a part of your kingdom, so that we can experience love and grace and mercy. God, this time is yours. This opportunity is is, is yours. If we will just give our lives to you, everything changes for eternity. Father, we love you. And we are going to enter into a time of remembrance of your son, Jesus Christ. Would you walk with us in this moment through the power of the Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen.